<laughs> hey everybody, I am Daniel Aaron and this is The Art of Vibrant Living. Thanks for tuning in. Super psyched to have my good friend and uh, phenomenal yoga teacher, Paul Delicious, here with us. I'll tell you more about him in a minute. Also, thanks to Longevity Drops, our sponsor for the show. I'll tell you more about why I love it and they rock later on. And happy super crazy blue blood full moon. Did y'all see it? Amazing, right? And I'm psyched for Paul to be here on the show for a lot of reasons. He's a dear friend. We haven't seen each other in a long time. He happen, happens to be visiting in the City of Angels. He's a phenomenal yoga teacher and, in fact, um, instrumental in me becoming a yoga teacher. We met at Omega Institute back in 1996. And um, Paul lives in Miami Beach, owns a yoga studio there. He's trained thousands and thousands of yoga teachers. Um, and beyond being a great yoga teacher, he's also got a very in-depth spiritual philosophy and understanding that goes beyond what most yoga teachers have. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to draw some of that out of it here. So Paul. It's not a competition. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Paul. You're welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me, Daniel. Yeah. So, all right, let's, um, I'm curious for this, Paul, start with, um, how did you get into yoga? Uh, well, I was in the business world back in the late eighties, uh, just living a normal life, so to speak. And, um, kind of getting out of shape, trying to go to the gym, trying to be healthy, but nothing was really working out. And I, uh, ended up, my mom, mom was imploring me to go to yoga. She lived in California and knew about yoga because California is the birthplace of yoga, of course. Uh, and I was in Miami at the time and there wasn't much going on, but I did manage to find uh, a Bikram yoga class with a very inspirational teacher at the time. And I started taking it. And about two years later, I just had so many incredible, basically healing, uh, benefits and advantages and it completely changed my life. So during that time, then I got very uh, caught up and inspired by the whole human potential movement and the spiritual movement. And that's when I decided to go to um, the Omega Institute. Actually, a little bit before that, I got into Kundalini yoga. So I was with the Sikhs and the Yogi Bhajan uh, community who are beautiful people, lots of amazing um, technology and tools and, uh, and the traditions of yoga there. So I was deeply in that for about two years. Um, but then I went bald and I didn't have enough hair to become a Sikh. So I had to, you know, find my own way there. Um, and uh, and that was really the very beginning of, of the vinyasa yoga movement. People think that yoga is so old and ancient. And it is, of course, but it has also evolved. And this vinyasa, which is the largest kind of asana movement um in the in the physical asana world. you want to explain what that is too. yeah vinyasa means um breath movement system in one context so this is the kind of flowing sequences which is prevalent in a lot of different uh yoga studios that you find um so that was just getting started in the 90s it wasn't it wasn't from like 2000 years ago that they had these yoga sequences and knew about how to teach alignment and make up creative sequencing that made sense biomechanically we've developed all that really in the past 30 years so I was kind of at the beginning of that, um, and and that came from the Ashtanga Yoga, of course, of Patabi Joyce. He was the one who who showed us the breath movement system in the beginning, and then it morphed uh, into more of a creative, um, you know, the teachers make up their own sequences. And um, during that time, uh, I started to teach uh, Vinyasa Yoga in Miami Beach, 
And then we also, I was in a yoga studio called Synergy and we started a teacher training right in 1998. And that was kind of the very beginning of yoga teacher trainings everywhere. Um, and that has obviously exploded in, and I think everybody's now trained as a yoga instructor, <laughs> <laughs> but there might be a few more out there to take Daniel's course in May. Uh, um, so <clears throat> the, the vinyasa, the vinyasa movement, uh, also, uh, simultaneously came up in the, uh, playlist in the, uh, kind of the iPod movement because music and spiritual music and kind of mantra beats um, kind of being played alongside yoga classes uh, has led to, you know, a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment of, of the yoga world. And then, you know, the hot yoga, just you can see all the different brands and the different offshoots. All of these contained in the in the Hatha Raja Asana movement is what I'm talking about. And there's other kinds of yoga to which Daniel was referring, which you know, our more spiritual based yoga, the jhana yoga of knowledge, uh, the bhakti yoga of devotion. Um, there's other yogas that you can bring into um, play educationally within the asana context. And, and not all yoga teachers do that. Not some, some yoga teachers, many very skillfully keep it in the physical and are very, very um, talented at, at explaining how to move the body and align the body to feel certain energies and feel um, sensations. Um, but there's a big, big possibility for us yoga teachers to influence people and inspire people um, in their spiritual lives. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that because I feel like part of why I came back to the U S is I want to make a big impact, a paradigm shift in, in the yoga world and how yoga teachers are showing up. Um, a friend of mine, a great yoga teacher, Edward Clark, pointed out the, a few years ago that um, if in popular culture, in the mainstream, you want to have a character on a TV show who is a little airheaded, a bit ditzy, yoga teacher, perfect <laughs> archetype for it. And it hit me like, wow, that's, that is how we appear a lot of the time in the world. And yoga still getting more popular right. and it has the potential for yoga teachers, you know, for, for us, for even the, the few that have not been trained as yoga <laughs> teachers to, um, to really become, to make an impact on people's lives on a, on a bigger level than just as fitness guides. Um, I think that's the whole reason for it. All right. Well, let me ask you, cause we were talking about this earlier. Um, what's your perspective on, why yoga is getting more popular now what's you know what does it bring for you and what's the potential for people yeah well well it works if you if you want to feel good um you can go through these these techniques these tools these gifts of yoga i call them of doing asana breathing um and and it has definite physiological changes in the body that make us feel better and and scientifically we're starting to understand what these are which is very exciting so for instance when we slow the respiratory rate, that's how many breaths we take per minute. There's definite effects of slowing the heart rate down and slowing the brainwave frequencies down so that we don't, um, we, we can immerse ourselves and, and, and dwell between the thoughts for longer and longer. We can become more aware the thoughts aren't bombarding us so quickly. Um, also with the, for instance, the final relaxation post, People who are new to yoga think it's funny that we all take a group nap for five minutes at the end of the class, but that is uh, proven to have an effect on the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response, which was researched by uh, Dr. Herbert Benson. And what they found was if you stimulate the autonomic nervous system through these exercises for 
however long, uh, and then you rest, you, you, you relax and uh, slow down. Uh, the effect on the nervous system is the relaxation response, the parasympathetic response. And so you feel that calmness. And people who do yoga obviously know what I'm talking about. You walk out of that room and you actually feel peaceful. It's not a theory up here like, you know, I should feel more peaceful. You actually feel it. Uh, and that's a, a direct result of calming the nervous system using these techniques and tools, which are ancient, which do come from India. But we've also refined it um, therapeutically in a beautiful way in our culture. Um, and I think a lot of people are are using it. It's 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 a good doorway into slowing down. Uh, the um, you know the other effects are when we move our bodies, we circulate blood all around the. The body and the blood, of course, carries oxygen to the cells. So we go upside down, right side up, forward bends, back bends, twists, seated poses, standing poses, balancing on one leg poses, strengthening poses, stretching poses. Um, and the, the overall effect of that is a holistic benefit to the body. The, the, the whole body, all of the systems receive an upgrade from that. And I'm just talking on the physical level here. So when we kind of bolster our, our physical uh, health, we feel better. It's a it's a vibration too, and that starts to get into the energetic benefits, which I'm not talking about. But certainly, we could branch into the the aura, the chakras, and and the uh, individual vibration, and and how we work with that to feel better. All right. Yeah. Cool. I'm with you. And you know, we've got a, a great audience here in a mixed crowd. Some of whom are already way into yoga, been yeah. doing it for years, and some that are brand new to it. So, what are you talking about, chakra and aura? What's this stuff? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it, things that, that we can't see still exist. I know that's like a, a, a <laughs> you know, a, a big theory for some people, but um, a newsflash. Uh, but the, we have an energetic body. Yoga has taught this, that we have layer upon layer of, of energetic body that we can't necessarily see. Although when we become more refined and sensitive to high vibrational awareness, we do open ourselves up to being aware of more and more aspects of ourselves, so to speak. But definitely we have the chakras. I think, uh, um, you know, chakras have, 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 have been now widely taught. There are energetic vortexes uh, up and down the spine that basically govern how we metabolize uh, and, and deal with life in different aspects, uh, different aspects of life. Um, and again, there's, there's lots of healing techniques to, to work with the energy body. Um, there's uh, teachers who teach to use the, uh, the elements. So fire, sitting around an open fire, or, or think of going into a sauna or a steam room. You can use the elements to really transform your energy. And then using water, of course, to even just something as simply as taking a shower cleans the energy body in a way that you can feel it. You, you do feel cleaner. Um, but swimming in water, uh, especially immersing yourself completely underwater. So all the energy body is underwater, um, using fire element, using water element to, to work with the energy body. I think there's research on that too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more up on the yoga research than, than on the energetic research, but there's just thousands of brilliant teachers out there proving that these things do uh, give us a physical upgrade. You know, and what's the connection there then to the mental aspect of life? Because the brain is part of the physical and the better the brain's functioning, um, the sharper we are mentally, um, the more clear, the more clarity we have. There's a big benefit to that physically. Um, and then the, what's the, the um, overlap into a spiritual world? Um, 
And what we're talking about there is kind of an inner satisfaction with life, uh, a, a certain level of peace uh, amidst the, the craziness of the world. Um, and, and yoga delivers on that uh, count, too. Um, but, I, you know, there's other ways to get there, too. Uh, I'm a yoga instructor, so this is what I'm talking about. But like you say, the audience out there, some of whom, you know, do probably more yoga than I do and others of whom maybe that's not their cup of tea. Um, even just deep breathing exercises, it's just proven. You can breathe. The, the yogis have taken the breath science further than anybody. In breathing in and out through our nose, slowing the respiratory rate, as I was saying earlier, will have definite physiological effects on your body. Your heart rate slows. But um, inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth is a way to dissipate uh, emotion. If you see people kind of getting upset, they might go, <sighs> you know, that's like take a few deep breaths type of thing. You want to exhale through your mouth. Um, these are just simple little tools that, that human beings can use. And also just drinking a glass of water. Often if we're upset, we're dehydrated. So the body's reading, um, you know, is, is responding to a lack of water. And that's sending signals to the body. And we might just feel that as a little bit of stress or a little bit anxiety. Um, and, you know, obviously this uh, crowd is very schooled in uh, nutrition and hydration. So I don't have to go too far into that. But I think it's worth pointing out because the physical practices that we do do have an overlap into our mental and, and spiritual uh, experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I like what you said uh, earlier on about how the practice of yoga and the breathing can slow us down, slow down the brainwaves, slow down the breathing. And my sense of part of why it's gotten so popular now is that the speed of life is just continuing to increase. You know, we are so constantly bombarded with information and it tends to put us in this reactivity mode. And, you know, ultimately yoga is about freedom. It's about creating liberation uh, on, a, on, on the deepest level, on a spiritual level. And as long as we are in this reactive mode where it's, you know, ping, pong, pang, we're getting inbox, you know, we all, everybody has 12 different inboxes. We're not ourselves. We're not free. So to be able to, just take a breath and be less reactive is super powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I like what you're saying that you're bringing up that, that the purpose of yoga originally was a spiritual intention. Uh, I think we're criticized in India, Westerners and Americans, perhaps, uh, that we don't really understand the true yoga. We've taken a beautiful word yoga, which means philosophy of all oneness in life and turned it into an exercise routine. And it is much more than that. Um, we misuse that word yoga. We mean asana. That's what we should be talking about, the physical practice. Uh, but the purpose of yoga was for us to realize what we are that transcends duality and separateness. And there's yogas uh, that don't have anything to do with the asana practice, the jhana yoga and the direct looking method of non-dualism, Advaita Vedanta, which are old, old schools of yoga which are being taught extremely skillfully now on the internet a lot, um, which can help a person see through the illusion of separation, because it is an illusion. There really is no separation from life in any moment from the perspective that we're consciousness or that we're awareness, not necessarily from the perspective that I'm Paul, a human being, a body, a personality. You know, that's sort of an ego construct. 
but really looking at my direct experience of this moment. What is aware? What is perceiving here? And if I look at that, I see that what's perceiving here is awareness is perceiving. My me as awareness is aware of this moment. And from that perspective, if you slow it down and look at our direct experience, we've never experienced anything outside of ourselves. In a, in a way, there is no outer world because even my perception of seeing something is being known inside of me. I'm not seeing anything necessarily outside of me. Or if I touch something, my experience of the sensation of that isn't that this is another person. I'm directly aware of a sensation called a sensation, whatever this is called. So those kind of yogas are being taught brilliantly, I think, and really have nothing to do with the physical practice or the asana um, movement, which is exploding and, and delivering some great benefits for people health wise. Um, but that's why I'm so excited about yoga. I think it's a time, um, when people are ready for an intelligent, straightforward approach that's based on our direct experience. Perhaps we've come out of a, a time when people spiritually would look towards religion um, to be kind of an intermediary between the individual and God and to explain how, how we should view these things from a religious context. And I think we're moving out of that now very strongly into a direct, like, I want to know what is going on. I want to realize what what is life in my relationship to life? What am I truly? And yoga has the answers in some of these other branches that have existed for a long time. And I guess it's like the, the paradigm of the tree that grows its roots down for a really long time and manifests on the top. You can't see much except for the thickening of the trunk. And then at a certain point, all the branches come forward in the spring. And, and that's what we're seeing now because it's a very exciting time. Um, to, to look at, at, at what's happening in the world and what we are and apply some of the ancient teachings, of course, and the practices and the tools, but also um, to look with new eyes and, and, and be aware of what's really going on in our world. Mm -hmm. What is really going on in our world? Well, who knows what's really <laughs> going on in our world? Uh, um, well, you know, and I think, I mean, Part of what you alluded to it earlier, like part of what yoga shows us, and you're talking about auras and, and energy and chakras, um, that there is an unseen world. And if we only believe our perception as to what's going on in the world, then, well, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, right? And it's going downhill. We could certainly look at it that way. And part of what yoga teaches, and it's not just yoga. I mean, we know that gravity is a force that works on the earth yeah. we, we can't see it we can see the results of it yeah right um and, and i'm also just you know you were talking about the people in india perhaps criticizing american yogis um i am too um, <laughs> i'm thinking you know, and, and you know to be fair though it's great that there is so much physical yoga happening so much um in whether it's in gyms or yoga studios or corporations people going through these exercise routines awesome it's a doorway it's a big doorway well and even even on its own you know sure. it's like ju just doing that stuff and, and one of my first teachers said to me you know look it's it's gonna work all you have to do is t tell people to do this this and this even if you're an idiot even if you do it badly it's gonna work yeah because it works so i love that there's all this physical yoga happening right now and people are getting great benefits from it whether it's just the the health benefits uh, but also it gets in deeper on the hormonal level and, yeah. and perhaps as a gateway 
And it's a cry and shame because there's so much more possible, you know, and, and I think you're, you were pointing out like this great time we're in where all the information or so much information is available that we can have this direct experience of whatever we want to call it, the divine God life, our truest self. In some ways, I think it's just, that's a perfect mirror for the internet, right? We're in this age now where everything is available and, and connection or at least some kind of connection is available all the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love that you mentioned time. First of all, I, I totally agree with you about the, um, the, the other aspect of the physical practice of, of asana, physiologically speaking, about the hormones is amazing because when we circulate the blood in certain ways and when we move in certain ways, we stimulate production of hormones that wouldn't ordinarily get produced by people who are not doing those practices of breathing and moving in those ways. So the, the brain has three primary hormone uh, glands, the pituitary, the pineal, and the hypothalamus. Science has proven that the body can produce 200 different hormones. Now, not every body produces all 200. It depends on the resources at hand. And certainly some hormones are positive um, mood-inducing, melatonin, serotonin, dopamine, neurotransmitters, endorphins, neopinephrine, neopinephrine, oxytocin. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> but also there's negative, the cortisol, and I don't try and remember the names of the negative hormones. Um, but there's negative uh, hormones which make us feel awful and sad and depressed. Um, so the movement and the uh, breathing is the number one way that we detoxify the body, the carbon dioxide that we put out and also other gases. So this deep breathing and this movement and this circulation help maximize the production of the positive hormones and also dissipate and detox from the effects of the negative hormones. Mm -hmm. So that's back to the, the physical. Um, but then you mentioned time and I said, what is going on? And I love to make this point, um, which is that time doesn't exist the way that we're all kind of agreeing that it does. If I ask somebody um, about the past or the future, they say, yeah, absolutely, there's a past and a future, for sure, it exists. And yet our experience is that we've never experienced anything called a past and a future. All we can do is think about, think about images or mental imagery of things that might've happened or things that may happen. And that's always occurring in the now. <laughs> And, and so um, I, I joke about this, but I'm surprised that there isn't like, you know, the LA Times, the New York Times, the front page is like, time doesn't exist, easily proven. You know, you can clearly see that everything is only the now. Um, and again, to the idea that, that, that we're individuals living in separation and we're human beings that are, are processing the now in a subject-object relationship. If we really, really look at that, what is what it is that's aware as pure awareness isn't a human being. If I were to ask you to stop thinking for an instance, just blank out and look without thought for a human being, if you tried that exercise, stop. Certainly there's awareness there. Can you say that that awareness is a human being? I can't find a human being there. I just find certainly what I know of as me, um, but I can't find a name, Paul, a personality, an age, a socioeconomic class, a gender, a preference, a nationality. I don't find all of those things when I stop thinking, yet I'm aware. And it's from that point of awareness that I've experienced everything in the world. Um, so getting back to the time thing, 
we're not human beings experiencing the present moment. We actually are the present moment. The person who said um, we're spiritual awareness having a human experience really nailed it, I think. I love that. Well, you, you know what you're okay i got a couple of questions for you and for me for me when i how i got into yoga in a way is i was i was in college i was studying philosophy i was on the edge of going for a phd in philosophy and i realized that i loved that broad perspective and a lot of what you're talking about here we could call philosophy yes right non-dualism different ways of looking at how the world works sure um and what I realized is philosophy, at least the way I was getting it in college, was really about breaking things down and it was all operating in my mind. Right? And then when I got into yoga, which came after I had something what you might call a spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. where I had an experience of like, whoa, there's more than I have been seeing. There's more than my physical perception has been allowing. Then I got into yoga and I realized oh, yoga has got a really cool philosophy but it's also practical. It's taking it into action, yeah, right, on, onto the mat or into your life. And so, when you're talking about the illusion of time or the illusion of separation, um, what what would you say are the effects for people? The, the 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 detriments of having the illusion or the benefits of realizing that it is an illusion. I mean, great question. Uh, <clears throat> it, it, there's no practical benefit whatsoever to spiritual realization. <laughs> Now, there, there is, in a certain sense, that there's peace uh, under more varied circumstances. So certainly what we perceive in life, we can't necessarily control. Life is coming at us, sometimes good things, sometimes not good things. So the, the um, variance under which we can still be okay on the inside and feel peaceful, I think, goes way up when we realize that what we are is awareness, so to speak. Um, now, some people might say that's very obtuse, but you can know it. You can you can look at it. People who meditate certainly know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is that, that that there's a lot of unconscious fear uh, in the human condition about death. And I know this is supposed to be a high vibrational show. So he's like, why is he talking about death? The message about death, which is the message that yoga teachers and the message that so many spiritual is that there is no death. It's a very high vibrational thing to talk about when you come from this perspective, because uh, in yoga, certainly reincarnation is true. In Buddhism, reincarnation is true. Three fourths of the world believe that reincarnation is true. Um, and so what we are as consciousness transcends time and space and the human condition in even this lifetime and what we really are will live forever that's the word eternal and it's hard to get our head around that intellectually because we think i'm a body but from the perspective of i'm consciousness couldn't you see that the part of you that's aware could leave this body and go on perhaps in between lifetimes other dimensions our ancient home so to speak and there's a lot of near-death experiences, a lot of meditators, there's a lot of um, research, uh, lucid dreaming, there's a lot of people who are now experiencing other dimensional worlds, which they say are more real than this world. Um, so that's an exciting thing to, to take on board here because it, it relieves this big kind of overhanging tension that we're going to die. Um, so I think that that's a big benefit. Mm. 
I love when I was uh, when I when I first went to Omega. I think it was the same year that we met back in '96. Um, there was uh, something called the Adventure Game Theater, and our friend Howard Moody and his friends were running it. And uh, it's like it was teenagers who were playing. It was kind of like a live action Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. And they had three days of preparing in scripts and costumes and styrofoam swords, and there were you know wizards and there were princesses and. Um, and I got to, on, as part of the staff, be like a like a stand-in or something, you know, an extra on it. And I, kind I was, of a Merlin type of role. exactly, yeah, yeah. And they had um, they had one of the important rules there was they had a reality check rule. And what that meant was if uh, if two kids are standing uh, on top of a building and they're having a sword fight, and the reality is they could slip and fall um, twenty feet and break their neck, then anybody could then say reality check. Right, like, okay, just stop for a second. Good that you're playing the game and you could die. But then equally, they had fantasy check as one of the rules that could be called out. So if people were walking along and they were saying, you know, this game and they started, they went out of the game and they went into what we consider normal reality, right. they would say fantasy check because we are here for being in this game. And I love that. And I think that's in a way what you're, pointing to is if we realize that that all this stuff and all the problems that we think we have that are so important to us right now is all illusory and that in fact there is no problem in fact the person that we're having a difficulty with or the traffic whatever that's actually fine it's just yeah. part of who we are that's I mean, I think that's incredibly practical for yeah, us that is it's 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 not necessarily illusory necessarily um, it's transitory, right? Mm -hmm. People who meditate and, and the Buddha taught, uh, things are always changing. So what we're perceiving is always changing. So if you're perceiving something negative, don't worry, it'll change. And, and taking a deep breath and using some of these tools that we have can help that, as well as the consciousness, the recognition. This moment, I'm having a thought, which I don't like, but it's not going to stay. It's not going to be your forever. Uh, and anything you feel, touch, see, taste, or smell is also always changing. What we perceive is always changing on the inside. But where we're perceiving that, where we're registering it, where we're aware of it, where we're conscious of it, never changes. It's always us on the inside. Um, so getting back to death, you know, just to make a few more <laughs> points. So I like to I like to talk about um, when the body dies in that moment. And I don't know what happens. Uh, some people who have had near-death experiences claim to, um, but we really don't know. But I, I want to surmise uh, that only two things are possible. One is that there's no consciousness, that if it's true, and some, some hardcore um, kind of uh, scientists uh, insist that the brain uh, governs consciousness. So when the brain dies, you're snuffed out, there's nobody home, there's no consciousness left, it's completely over. So if that's true, that's one possibility. If that's true, I would liken it. And what would that experience be like? Maybe in that moment in sleep where there's nobody there that you're not dreaming because you can be aware in dreams. Um, but when there's, you know, that moment of sleep in the night where there's nobody there whatsoever, um, I guess that would be likened to that experience. There's no one there, game over, total blackness. And I like to point out if that's the way that, that it is, is there any problem? No. No. Who would be there to have a, to register? This is a problem. 
Because if something's there to register, A, this is a problem, then that means that consciousness does exist. And that's that carries over after this body dies. And that's the only other possibility. Either the consciousness is snuffed out and there's nothing, or consciousness does continue on, um, you know, beyond this physical lifetime. And I think then if we just apply logic now, what's the reality that we experience now? Is there no consciousness? Is, it, is there nothing? Or is there something happening? Consciousness. There's something happening. Consciousness. So it's logical to assume that there's a continuation of that. It's not logical to assume that there's an end in terms of our experience of that that's forever and final, because then how would consciousness have, have, have come into existence in the first place? You, you know, something couldn't have just come out of nothing. There must have been something to generate something. So I doubt that, um, I doubt very strongly that, um, that death is real and, um, and the recognition that we're awareness, you can kind of sense the part of you that, that would live forever. And yeah, it, it does feel good to live in the world that way. It does. There's peace in that, definitely. Well, I love uh, Jesus's statement that um, we are here to be in the world, but not of it. Yeah, for sure. Right? And you know, what is our belief about the world? Is it um, is it a lesson? Is it uh, an adventure? Is it a challenge? Mm -hmm. Are we being tested? We get to make all of that up. Yeah, we really do. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions in a minute about. Uh, about people that are new to yoga or wanting to get into it. Because in the few shows that I've done so far here on David's Network, yeah. part of what I've seen is there are a lot of people that um, that know about it but don't have so much experience about it and there's some concerns about it. First though, I will say thank you. I am saying thank you to Longevity Drops. They're, they are our sponsor for the show. And part of what's amazing about Longevity Drops is well, we can debate whether our philosophies are practical or useful for us or not. But when you get to something that is um, proven scientifically to benefit our physical system, it's a, it's a herbal tincture. And what that means is you take a lot of very powerful elements from nature, like in this case, Romania, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms, um, and distill them and get the, the very concentrated aspect of it and take that sub sub uh, sublingually, which means you know you just take a, a dropper full of it and put it under the tongue, and first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. Um, and part of what's great about this one is it's done with a really high quality coconut glycerin, so it doesn't have that alcohol uh, alcohol flavor. Or for those who are wanting to stay away from alcohol, makes it uh, not only really palatable and easy, it's really yummy. My daughter loves it. It's like, she's like, can I have more of that? And I'm like, yes, you know, that's so good for you. Um, you know, and when we get tapped into, and I think this ties us back into yoga in a way, when we get tapped into our true nature and in a world that's becoming increasingly sped up and active, mm. yoga or herbal medicine or deep breathing is saying, come back to our nature. And uh, before I come to the question for you, I'll also uh, let you all know, I, uh, I said before that I, t I am also criticizing yoga and the way it's showing up in the world. And that's true. But And to be fair, I'm not uh, just criticizing it from a distance because that would be totally lame um, and irresponsible. I'm also doing my best to do something about it. And, and really, it's that, um, it's that criticism that got me almost 20 years ago to start offering yoga teacher trainings. So, you know, again, if we debate the, the, the benefits of the philosophy, 
one thing that I know for sure is when we go into a yoga class, or if we want to speed that up a lot, go into a yoga training for a period of time and do the practice repeatedly in an intensive way and get the philosophy of it and get the anatomy of it and study with people that are of extremely high vibration. And I'm talking right now uh, without any uh, humility at all about my training <laughs> at Omega in May. Um, and you know, there are, it's, I love that there are so many yoga teacher trainings out there. And when I was a, when I was a kid, when I was new into yoga, I was a junkie. In fact, I love this uh, story. I don't know if you remember it, but when I, when I was first getting into yoga, Paul had a yoga teacher training going at the time. And you said to me, Hey, do you want to come do the training? You know, I'll, I'll get you a good discount or something. Or, and I was like, no, 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 I don't want to teach yoga. But I was hooked on yoga for myself. And then it was soon after that, I was like the next step for me. I didn't want to teach, but was to actually do a training. And I became a junkie because it was so, not just fun, it was um, so powerfully uplifting to me. I got so much transformation every training I did. And because I'm ruthless about improvement, I got to really see how to make trainings really amazing and make them life, life transformative. And so what we do in that uh, four weeks, almost four weeks at Omega Institute is a ton of daily yoga, but it's also the, the really amazing technology we have for transformation these days, you know, from the own meditation to breath work, to the community that we create, to the high vibrational food that we have. And I'm still doing it. And I, and I was thinking about this. I love about you. We're talking about yoga, you know, two decades after we got into it. And in a way, we're like little kids with it. Yeah. We're like, you know, it's still so cool. And right. it's getting better. Um, and, you know, it's easy for people to burn out in their careers or what they're teaching or teach the same old thing all the time. And I love that we get to be in this thing and actually helping people measurably improve their lives. Yeah. Um, and one last thing I'll say about it for now is if you're brand new to yoga, even better. I love it when people come to the teacher training who don't have a lot of experience because they also don't have the, the concepts that we have to get out of the way. It's that they have the more of the ability to come with an open mind. Yeah. All right. Now, what would you say for people that are, um, you know, watching here now and they've heard about yoga or, you know, I should do yoga. It's good for me. Um, but maybe this is a challenge my local, uh, local studio doesn't have a class that I know about, or there isn't a great teacher near me yeah. or I have got some challenges in my body. Yeah. You know, what's, what's helpful for people? Well, first of all, uh, that was great how you told your story. I really appreciated how we were. Um, and it made me remember about the way that you were back then. Uh, when we first met, Daniel would get up immediately in the morning and do like a 90 minute Ashtanga vinyasa. That was the first thing. That was just like the first thing. Then there would be other classes during the day that he would take. Most people would have just stopped at this morning time practice. I'd be like, whew, I did it this morning, you know, major workout. But that was just to, you know, kind of get loosened up for the classes the rest of the day. And then one time I remember it was so sweet. I was talking to you and you said, yeah, if I start thinking about yoga, I just get teary eyed because I love it so much. You know, it was really, really, you felt it. And, and I hope to, I hope that I can maintain that. And I think I still, I still do. And when I talk to people about yoga, when I practice it, I do so much appreciate how it's helped me. Um, the love's still there and the gratitude is still there. Um, well, can I interject yeah, yeah. for a second? Um, 
it's fun to remember back when I was that obsessed with yoga and the physical practice of it. And I still practice every day and I love sure. it, but you know, not doing four or five practices a day. Um, the reason though, that I was so obsessed with it then um, isn't, wasn't necessarily altruistic because I wanted to become a better teacher, although that did happen. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't even moral that I thought I'd be a better person. It was just that I wanted to be in less pain, yeah. you know, and I, when I got into yoga, in the very beginning, I was awful. You know, if you measure it from the outside, I was overweight. I was uh, stiff. Every class I took, I just poured so much sweat out of me. There was a pool around me. It was horribly embarrassing. You know, and there are all these cute girls there. And I'm like, you know, like, like looking <laughs> like a loser. <laughs> um, and it was so hard, you know, like, and, yeah. I, and I thought in the beginning, I thought, well, yoga must be easy. I'd come from martial arts. I got into it and it was really hard for me. And yet somehow I realized from the very beginning, like there's something in this for me, it's benefiting me. Yeah. And even though I was struggling every time I would feel a little lighter, a little more clear, a little bit uh, more confident in myself. Yeah. And that just kept going and it still keeps going like that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was obsessed largely in the beginning just because I, I didn't want to feel so bad. Yeah. It wasn't even that I wanted to feel good. It was right. just that I, I knew that, that I could feel not as bad. <laughs> Great motivator, isn't it? Yeah. To get out of pain. It's a big, big motivator. Um, well, getting back to your question of how to get yes. into it, there's a, a sacred, sacred fountain of all spiritual information, including yoga that we can tap into. It's called YouTube. <laughs> so uh no matter where you live we live in this open information age which is marvelous if it, people want to take yoga uh, in terms of asana we're talking they want to take asana classes they want to take yoga classes near their home at a convenient time if that's available to you terrific just go for that it's a slam dunk um three times a week one hour a day has the proven benefits of moving of getting people out of mild level depression um, and I'm not saying anybody out there is depressed, but three times a week, one hour a day is enough um, after about six weeks to have a measurable increase in your mood and, um, and hormone production. So, so the, the one way that I approach it, if you, if you don't have access to a class or don't have money, because the yoga world, like, like uh, all capitalism, has turned into quite a business world, too. And I own a yoga studio. We need to pay our rent. And, um, you know, we're a spiritually based organization, but my landlord doesn't care about that. Um, so there is uh, money involved and, and you can see, and that turns a lot of people off the, the apparel and the mats and the retreats and the whole spiritualization, the um, <clears throat> materialist spiritual uh, manifestation. I think it's terrific. I think it's great. Um, but if you don't have the money, uh, you can go on YouTube and just search up sequences of vinyasa yoga or anything, any level, therapeutic yoga, yoga for um, all ages, yoga for all conditions. You can just Google search uh, on YouTube and you can get some, you know, all incredible information is out there. One way to approach it, which has been very good for me, um, sometimes when I travel and go on vacation, it's easy to get out of my routine. So I have, I force myself for 30 minutes a day to practice right when I wake up. I have a cup of coffee first, which is allowed. Um, and then I, I go right to my mat. And sometimes I don't feel like it. I, I have to for, literally force myself to get started. And I put a timer on, I put it for 30 minutes and I say, okay, Paul, 
you got 30 minutes and that's it. And then you're going to walk away. And when I string those 30 minute days together for one week, two weeks, three weeks, you can't believe how good you feel after two weeks or three weeks of just 30 minutes a day. And the other thing I like to tell any student, but beginners in particular, you don't have to do this well in order to receive the benefits. You just have to do it. And I think sometimes in our industry, yoga teachers who are very skillful about the therapeutic alignment aspects give us the impression that eh, I don't understand how to you know, tuck the tailbone and at the same time draw the front ribs in and still breathe. And there's a maybe a assumption that you have to do this right in order to get the benefits. And my experience of practicing, you know, first of all, teaching 12,000 classes and practicing probably 5,000 hours myself, I've never done it right. I don't have perfect alignment. Um, I'm sure I've, you know, done things wrong in every set. And I always feel terrific when I leave that mat. So for me, that kind of proves um, that there is a margin for error here. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect in order to get the benefits, but you have to do it. Nobody can do it for us. Um, I joke with some of my friends when we get massage or Thai massage, when you get Thai massage, you want somebody to just move your limbs around and do it for you. And it feels great. Uh, but the yoga, you have to, you know, you have to stand up there and do the, make your body move. And like Daniel's saying in the beginning, especially for us guys, it's painful. It doesn't feel wonderful to do, but by the end, you do feel a lot better. There's a, a, an immediate benefit in the present moment because you're, you're satisfied that you're doing something good for yourself. There's a short-term benefit. The benefits of the exercise of asana and, and all exercise, but particularly the exercise of yoga, continue for 24 hours or more after you quit practicing, which I think is a really cool thing. You'll sleep better at night. Your body will continue to produce the hormones. Your body will circulate blood better. Your vascular system, your cardiovascular system, your respiratory system. There's an upgrade to the breath capacity. You know, we take 21,000 breaths per day. I know none of us thought we did anything 21,000, except for think about eating. Um, but if I can just get in a yoga class, uh, even a half hour session, for myself to take extra deep breaths, maybe a couple of hundred really lung expanding, rib cage expanding, stretching the intercostal muscles that get so tight in between the rib cage and bring an incremental larger amount of volume of oxygen in for that time period. Every subsequent breath I take of those 21,000 the rest of the day, even if I'm not thinking about deep breathing, has more energy, more oxygen and more um, health and life value in it. So. Um, yeah, 30 minutes a day, it, it's, it's hard not to be able to justify that amount of time. And, and if you can, if you can undertake it for long enough that you start to feel the self-rewarding benefits, um, it becomes part of our life and, you know, it's, it's just a, it, and it's free. It really can be free. If you find a good little routine on YouTube, you can work it for years, years. Awesome. That's great. Really helpful. And I'll add on to that just to say that whatever works you know that's the best kind of yoga is whatever yoga works for you so if it's youtube if it's going to a class if it's just making it up on your own and and i'm with you you, you can't do it wrong i hear from people so often like you know i'd like to get into yoga but i'm too stiff which yeah. is just like saying i'd like to get into shape i'd like to go to the gym but i'm not in good shape yeah you know it's i'd like, like to drink some water but i'm just too thirsty <laughs> exactly yeah
Cool. Awesome. Well, I think we will uh, bring it to a close for now. Okay. Um, and you mentioned uh, your yoga studio, Miami Beach, Tropical Vinyasa. Yes, Tropical and, um, Vinyasa. And Tom will put that in the comments there. I've been to the studio in Miami. Um, I haven't met the landlord, but uh, so far they seem to be <laughs> a paying good their man. Rent. A good man, yes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a beautiful studio. And it is such a gift to be able to practice with someone who's got experience and whose heart is in it. And, you know, Paul's an amazing teacher. So I hope you get the chance down in Miami. Can I make a couple plugs for a couple websites? I mean, we got people, first of all, thanks to everybody who watches this. Thank you very much. I hope we, hope we're informative and educational and, you know, somewhat entertaining. Um, but also I know you're on the internet and sometimes I used to be on the internet looking like what's good out there. Like what are the good sites? Like trying to find something really cool. And um, one of my favorite sites is that site, batgap.com, which we've talked about. That's uh, an acronym for Buddha at the Gas Pump, B-A-T-G-A-P, batgap.com. And this guy who runs it, Rick Archer, has interviewed like 480 incredible people. And it's totally free. It's a donation-based thing. And I've learned so much off that website. Amazing. There's a woman named Byron Katie who Daniel and I also got a lot out of. And this is more the yoga of belief system. It's probably... It's the best way that I've ever seen to uncover unconscious belief systems, which could be causing us to suffer, uh, to bring them to the light of the moment, to look at them and to ask whether they're really true or serving us. And so this woman, Byron Katie, has a website called thework.com or thework.org, both. Um, and it's just an amazing, free, transformative process for being happier in life. And one other website I'd throw out there is uh, two other. One guy, um, my favorite teacher right now of non-dualism is a man named Rupert Spira. Uh, Rupert, first name, second name, S-P-I-R-A, Rupert Spira. And he just has a very straightforward approach to teaching yoga non-dualism, Advaita Vedanta, some of these um, consciousness-based yogas. Really, really brilliant man. And then finally, I just uh, found out about a website which I've really gotten into, which is called newmessage.org, newmessage.org. Some very eye-opening information on there and also very spiritually inspiring because what it's saying is that there are going to be changes in the world going forward, that, that we can't continue to use the resources at the same rate that we're using them. And with these changes comes a huge opportunity for us to go within and connect with the knowledge that's in us and actually lead lives that are more satisfying than the kind of hectic, high-paced lifestyle that all of us seem to be pursuing and maybe getting satisfaction from, maybe not. So that new message.org is really brilliant. That's great. And those are all fantastic resources. And again, I'm I'm a big fan of optimalism, you know, whatever works. And, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful to you for being on the show, Paul, and I'm most grateful to y'all for tuning in. The fact that you are interested in creating your lives into a masterpiece, into the art of vibrant living, that's a big step already. And that you're getting information and you're trying things out. It's so powerful. If you want to connect more with me, you can write me an email, daniel at danielaron.com. Awesome. I'd love to know more of how I can serve you better on the show, what you're interested in. I also have uh, events, as you know, the teacher training and the four-day vibrant life activation. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching work. I've got a couple spots left anyway. And, um, and I'm here to serve. And I'm really grateful for, uh, for our sponsor, Longevity Drops, and for my friend David for inviting me to have a show through his network. So, y'all, that's it for now. I'm Daniel Aaron. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, viewers. 
The Art of Vibrant Living, and we'll see you soon. All right.